Welcome to another episode of Affordable Housing and Real Estate Investing. Today, we got one of my favorite guest co-hosts from the past, Andrea Garcia, on the on the podcast today. We're actually going to go really, really deep on a topic today, and I hope you guys are going to be really excited because we're going to talk about how do you actually raise rents and how do you actually go about that intensive process working with the government to do all this stuff. Like we all talk about value add. We always talk about uh, we've got to do some renovations and we increase the rents. But there's a very, very long process to that. So for so for an expert like Andrea to come onto the podcast today and take her time to explain this, I'm so excited. Welcoming my guest co-host today, Dane Connolly. Welcome back, Dane. Welcome, Andrea. Welcome to the show. Well, how's everybody doing today? Fantastic. Thanks for having me on. She still has that birthday glow to her, Kent. Yes. <laughs> She's radiant uh, at any time of the year, but a little extra for from her birthday. Thanks. <laughs> Thanks for having me again, man. I'm thrilled to be here as always. It's the happiness of passive money. <laughs> <laughs> that helps. <laughs> it helps keep you looking younger than, uh, than than if you didn't have it. That's for sure. Hopefully, I'm I'm looking for J Lo status by the time in 20 years from now. You know? <laughs> let's go oh my god i mean just for the listeners to know where we are right now um andrea has graciously agreed to kind of come on to the podcast and just talk about deep dives into last week we talked about how do you actually do underwriting for affordable housing uh this week we're talking about how to raise rent the next couple weeks we got to have a couple of sessions about uh the loi the letter of intent for your offers that you're sending out to these deals, the types of different affordable housing deals. We're really going to go deep so that we can provide as much value to you guys as possible. So don't forget to follow at Andrea Garcia REI on Instagram to make sure you follow her because she has some amazing content to share with all of you guys and such valuable, valuable information. But without further ado, Andrea, we're going to get right into the show today. Like Let's we just it. want to start very, very basic first. Like, what is the difference between market rate rents and Section 8 rent? Like, how do you look at this sort of analysis or comparison differently? Tell us a little bit more about that. I'm going to try to break down all these topics as short as possible so that your audience could get the most of our, out of our time. Um, so just to break it down, what's the difference between market rate versus Section 8? And market rate units, they're typically units that you would rent if you were to go to like a private landlord who sets the rents at the market rate based on the value of the market at the time. They're not subsidized. They're not discounted. Basically like what a standard one bedroom would rent for in Los Angeles or Ohio, wherever you're investing in a subsidized section eight household cannot rent units with the gross rent that exceeds the market rent. So we need to make sure that whenever we're doing any kind of uh, rent increases that we're either meeting the market rent at the moment or operating at a yearly um, increase OCAF. So um, that's the biggest difference. It's just how soon we can charge the rent, but also knowing that the subsidized rent from Section 8 is going to be subsidized by the government. So usually we have to go through HUD for those types of approvals and um, either yearly or every five years whenever we're about to go through those increases. And with market rate, um, it's just, you have to see what the rents are at uh, renting at at the moment for the comps. Yeah. Yeah. Very cool. So is there, um, I, I guess once, once you have a property in, in my case, how soon can, if I have a section eight tenant, how soon can I bring those rates up? Is that an annual thing or, uh, every, you mentioned every five years, how, how exactly does that 
that work and kind of give a glimpse into that. So whenever you're about to buy a Section 8 building, usually a lot of people might shy away from these types of investments because they really don't know how it operates. They're like, oh, there's so much red tape to it. But in reality, you have bought an incredible investment for yourself, especially if you know how to operate it and increase the rents. For Section 8 specifically, whenever we do these kind of acquisitions, you have to look at a couple of factors before you purchase the property. You look at the HAP contract, the housing assistance payment contract, which often tells you um, it's usually about 20 years for this type of a contract. And every five years, you could do a what's called an RCS, rent comparability study, where we increase the rents to the market rate. And we usually engage that through a third party inspector and appraiser. And then we also have to look at the rent schedule. The rent schedule is essentially like a template that every year we have to generate for the property. It's a rent schedule and an OCAF increase. So the rent schedule will tell you what the one bedroom, two bedrooms, three bedrooms, what they're all renting for, and then what the utility allowances will be. And it will tell you your overall gross potential rent, which you should factor into your underwriting whenever you're underwriting these types of investments. And then you also wanna check the uh, use agreements and regulatory agreements to see if there's any kind of um, average median income restriction for these property for the units itself. Sometimes you might have a 40, 60, um, you know, set aside. There's uh, different set asides, especially if it's a tax credit type of a property to see, okay, if I can't charge, um, if I can charge only maximum, uh, let's say 80% AMI for 40% of the units, you have to consider those uh, as well whenever you're doing underwriting and about to acquire them. So just to summarize, if you're about to buy a Section 8 property, you want to know how soon you can increase the rents. We want to check the HAP contract, housing assistance payment contract, how often we can increase the rents uh, and understand the rent schedule and any other use agreements or regulatory agreements that are in place. Cool. And wow. It, not to jump on you here, Kent, but I just it, it started me. I'm thinking of the listener because I know enough to be dangerous in this in this topic. Uh, <laughs> What if if I'm a listener because you, you hit the nail on the head? So many people see or hear Section Eight and they, oh, I don't want to deal with that for one reason or another. Usually, if they don't understand how it it works out and how it compares to an open market. So, if you mm -hmm. had to compare or, or give a snapshot, what are the pluses and minuses of Section Eight rent versus open market? Kind of in, in layman's terms, you know, spell those out and compare them for us, maybe. Uh, I think what you're asking is what are the benefits of investing in Section 8 versus market rate? Is that what yeah. I'm understanding? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So uh, I'm very happy whenever I see that we have an opportunity to increase the rents in Section 8 properties because whenever we're about to see that this is a feasible investment, we need to check like the actual rent roll. The rent roll will tell us, okay, these are the actual rents that we're charging for the units. And you have to compare that alongside the rent schedule. And usually whenever you buy these kinds of properties that have HAP contracts on them, uh, every year you're, either your property manager or the ownership or asset manager, they should submit what's called an OCAF. That's an operating cost adjustment factor for the property. So every year you should be increasing the rents I, th I think the maximum increase I've seen was like 5%, but it's usually between a one to 5% increase in rents overall year to year. I haven't seen an OCAF where the rents actually go down. 
So the OCAF is a really good way for um, you guys to do that type of an increase year to year, and you would have somebody to submit that to HUD. Uh, and that would usually include a debt service coverage uh, analysis. You would submit an amortization schedule to HUD. And then from there, um, there's an actual calculation on how to do it online, but it, it should be easy enough for um, anybody who's managing your property to be able to submit that for you guys. That's why I really want to find these kinds of investments because um, with market rates properties, I, I would say that we're forced in a way to deal with the market. <laughs> right now, the market is pricing out so many people. Hmm. I mean, a one bedroom in Los Angeles right now I've seen is going for over $3,000 sometimes. You know, it depends on the area. So what's great about Section 8 is that we don't, that tenant who has that Section 8 voucher, they don't have to pay that $3,000 if they're going to go to a Section 8, you know, to a property and give them the voucher. They're going to say, hey, I can only pay maximum 30% of my income to this property. And then HUD is supposed to fund the balance of that, of what they cannot pay. So let's say if the, um, if their income per year, let's say is, let me actually do a calculation here. If it's $20,000 a year and you divide that by 12, they can maximally make $1,660 a month. So that's not going to cover a $3,000 a month rent. You know, the average amount of um, rent that people can pay is usually about 25%, uh, I would say 25 to 30% of their income. So they're obviously not going to qualify for that. That's one of the benefits of working with these Section 8 properties is because the government will fund the balance of those units, of, of the rent for those units. And then is it safe to say that that's guaranteed rent for the, the landlord owner, uh, the, the landlord or the owner of the, of the property? It's guaranteed rent as long as the tenant also pays on time. <laughs> so it's, there's no guarantees in life, you know, but um, that's why I, I feel like it's better to invest in Section 8 properties because if let's say if we buy a property and we're we have the tenant that's trying to pay monthly um, and they can't afford it, the government will help them out. So we do get that check. Um, we do get that balance from the government to cover the, the tenant's rent. But if it's a market rate deal and the tenant lost their job, we're going through COVID, we're going through all these issues, we're not going to see rent payments for maybe six months sometimes, you know? So with Section 8, at least we know that the government will provide funding at least covering the rent and paying for our investors in that way. And I think this is such a good, again, another point to hammer home for the listeners. Like, yes, the government does guarantee their portion of the rent, but a tenant still has to pay their portion, right? And obviously that depends on the income that they're making. So maybe they lose a job and the government might step in, but vice versa, if they get a big pay raise, they also have to pay a proportional amount of that increase in pay that they're that they are now getting from their jobs or whatever the income source may be. Now, you threw out a lot of acronyms there. OCAF, we talked about that uh, operating cost adjustment factor. But even with those, you, you talked about a lot of different items in there. And I want to make sure that one, we're raising rents legally because it seems like there's a lot of criteria here under it, right? So Maybe, there's criteria, uh, what, right? Sure, but What's like, the best way for the listeners to understand? Like, hey, is there a legal way to raise rent uh, based off of a rent comparability study, based off of a tax credit property? Is it different steps involved depending on the type of property? How should listeners think about it? 
let me start with the most basic one. Uh, mm-hmm. If listeners want to make it very understandable, if you want to increase the rents on a market rate property, where it's just a standard, let's say $3,000 for one bedroom all across the board, that's what we're renting. You must be aware of the laws and the rules in the area that you're investing in. So the uh, increase can occur based on the landlord's uh, discretion. So if the market rent for the next year, if you're in a landlord-friendly state, if it goes up by $200, you're probably going to end up paying $200 in increase. But if it's for a Section 8 property, the way that we usually raise rents is we legally... um, Every year we can do it by working with our property manager and asset manager to submit those OCAFs, the operating cost adjustment factor uh, packages where we they submit a new rent role, a, a new rent schedule as well. Um, they're able to do that on your behalf. And then if you want to work on legally increasing to market rate rents, the Section 8 units, we have to do what's called a rent comparability study. Um, and that rent comparability study is basically a tool for estimate. It's a tool HUD uses for estimating market rents for Section 8 projects in that have the housing assistance payment contract attached to it. And that is usually the best way to increase rents in a Section 8 deal. So um, you can also increase charges as well. You know, there's other ways to do that, too. Very cool. Very cool. And you had mentioned the rent comparability study. I think I know what that is. Can you go into detail? Who does that? How how often does that occur? I I mean I know the 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 gist of it, but maybe do a little deeper dive there for us. So I would love to do like three hours of a deep dive into a rent comparability study, but just for a quick synopsis for your listeners. Uh, So a rent comparability study, RCS, is what we call it. Um, It's HUD's tool of estimating what market rents are and what can be listed on a rent schedule. So we have to basically ask permission, hey, you know, can I have a raise? And I did all my chores, you know, as if you want to look at it in this way to ask HUD for a rent increase every year, you want your chore, um, your allowance to increase, basically. So uh, the RCS is essentially your approval, your way of showing that my property, my subject property, and how it compares to other like five comparables in the area. And then from there, they're able to estimate based on the rent grids, what rent can be charged. So usually in an RCS, when an RCS is due for property, the HUD specialists require you to submit the following. It's um, a rent adjustment checklist, It's a property contract form, the rent comparability study, a utility allowance baseline. So they have to estimate the uh, utilities and then there might be a utility allowance factor to it. And usually HUD will tell you 210 days before the RCS expires that um, you have to submit your notice of renewal. So you either have to submit a renewed OCAF to increase the rents or if it's up for that five-year, uh, every five-year RCS engagement, then they will tell you to engage in RCS. But sometimes it doesn't happen. I mean, I've been in situations where <laughs> the the CA doesn't tell us, and we're like, wait, this is due next month. So that's why we've created a way to streamline um, I all of the contracts in a file. And I'm I had to review every single HAP contract we have on file. So you have to look at the preliminary date 
that uh, we were able to engage that RC, the, um, the HAP contract. So let's say if the property you, you just bought, I actually put in an example here. If you, if the property you just bought, it has a section eight contract on it and the effective date when you're able to get that contract um, for section eight vouchers involved, if that was engaged in uh, July 1st of 2018, five years after that, you have the upcoming five-year adjustment date due, which is this year, 2023 of July 1st. But if the RCS is due in July, so this is, if the RCS is due to HUD in July, you have to submit the final RCS 120 days before that date, meaning by March, I should be submitting, like, I should be submitting the RCS. So, and engaging the RCS, the rent comparability study with like an appraiser. I work with a couple of them. There's a lot of them out there. There's like Gill Group, Starmark. Um, there's tons of them. But if you want to engage these RCSs, you should begin 90 days before um, that March date I told you about. So I should have, if my, you have to look at it as if, if, if it's due and it's going to be renewed in July, I should have engaged it back in December of 2022. Okay. <laughs> Basically six months ahead of time. <laughs> yeah. So for the listener, if, if this can get confusing, you can get in the weeds on this. For somebody who is like me, a creative, my brother Jared is more of like an integrator, very detailed. I wish he would have been here because he, he would have been uh, right on this. Having... Uh, you know, having a property manager that knows the ins and outs of this will help tremendously. Um, I, I would, I would assume. Um, and then, you know, working alongside with you that, like I told you a, a couple podcasts ago, I, I just walked into our section eight office and said, okay, how the heck does this work? Let's, I want to, <laughs> I want to help you, but you gotta, you gotta show me the ABCs and the, and they did. And it became, it, it became very clear. It, it can be intimidating, um, but mm. uh, once once you're in it, it's just like anything else. Once you're in it, you you pick up on your uh, you, you pick up on the details and you put your systems in place. And if yes. you have a very good property manager <clears throat> or or business partner that is familiar with the the ins and outs, it becomes uh, second nature almost. <clears throat> I agree with you. I mean, you know, with market rate and Section Eight properties you can increase the rents every single year, but the difference is the process, you know, with a market rate property, if you're going to increase the rents, you're, if you're going to increase it year by year, you could do that, but you could also increase the rents a lot more whenever you see the next lease update for that tenant. And if you're in a landlord friendly state as well, you can probably increase it a, a ton more, but if it's a section eight property, there's specific uh, rules to go by in order to increase the rents legally. And that usually would include the yearly OCAF, uh, a renewed rent schedule. You could also see when the next due date is coming up to see if you can do a rent comparability study. So whenever you're about to, see, if you're seeing a new deal come through your desk, like an offering memorandum from a broker, they will say for a section eight property, uh, what is, what, date is the next uh R what when was the last rcs completed right. you know or they will tell you when the hap contract went into effect so that in your mind you're thinking okay if it went into effect in 2018 i have an opportunity to increase the rents this year to market rate and that's amazing especially right now with the rental market oh 
you will make your investors so much happier with understanding that you're focusing on increasing the, you know, um, increasing the profits for the property. And maybe I'll implement this now. This is a listen up moment for everybody that's listening. Like this is where the opportunity is. We've seen tremendous amount of rent appreciation over this year. And now with these contracts for the HAP contracts, because they're on a five-year timeline, those properties that are coming up. This might be the biggest opportunity for you to get a huge increase to market rent. But maybe let's let's break it down to be more simple because I want to make sure the audience summer like understands the summary of this, right? OCAP, you can get this, you can do this every year, right? Under every year. Yes. Exactly. Every year. So every year you can do the OCAP, but every five years you might do a RCS because of the HAP contract. Now, why, right. like, would you do the OCAP at the same year as the RCS, one or the other, or would you no. not do the OCAP a year? Okay, got it. No. So projects requiring a new RCS for the annual rent adjustment are not eligible for the OCAP, um, usually because you, they will not want to, HUD does not want to see an increase for the property twice in one year. So let's say if you try to submit for an OCAP, they'll see, okay, the rents went up by 5% or 2%. But if you see an actual RCS submitted the same year and the rent goes up by 40%, we've seen the rents go up to over 120%, 200%. But those rents um, are more favorable. So we would they would rather not have you submit an OCAP and an RCS in the same year. So I'm telling you, like, I've seen rent increases up to 200%. It's insane the increases we're able to increase it at, but the tenants are not affected. All we have to do is let the tenants know, hey, the rent will go up for these Section 8 properties, but the amount you're paying does not change. It's not affected. What is affected is how much money we're getting back from the government in order to support the rents and cover what, what rent you can't pay. Right. And that's as as a property owner, I just uh, spoke with one of my mentors earlier today on this. You know, when you when we look at a property, whether it's Section 8 or not, and every broker puts the same thing in there. Excellent opportunity to raise rents two hundred dollars a month. And like I said last week, it ain't that easy. It's it's not because you raise somebody's rent two hundred dollars from eight hundred to a thousand dollars. They get pissed off and then they bounce. And now I've got a, a, a you know a vacant unit that I need to turn. I need to fill. It may be empty for a week. It may be empty for two months. You, you never know. So that's revenue lost on top of uh, on top of everything else. And so the fact that you don't need to worry about that in in these situations, it's gold. It, it's literally just like. <laughs> on a money switch, you know, where you, you get that, that increase and you don't have to worry about your vacancy going up, uh, having to turn the unit and things like that. Obviously I'm sure are there, when those go up, uh, does section eight and anybody come in and reinspect the unit or anything like that? Is anything triggered with a rent increase maybe? Well, anytime you're about to do a rent, uh, comparability study, Uh, Usually what the RCS appraiser does is they provide you with a set of rent grids and they usually have five comparables on there. So you can actually work legally with your third party appraiser to look at these comps and it will give you grids. It will basically tell you um, what is the year built, the condition, the neighborhood it's in. You will get uh, what are called credits or debits on those. Like it's it's just like running any comps to any kind of a what they call an agent or appraiser, they'll say, okay, this, 
this unit does not does not have stainless steel appliances or granite countertops. So I guess we have to deduct that from you know or give a credit to our proper subject property for that for that particular um, reason because the other comp does not have that. So with the RCS, um, it usually will require an inspection right after you finalize the rent grids. So once you're happy with the rent grids, sometimes you can even recommend to these RCS appraisers, hey, you know, comp number three and five are bringing down the rents and it doesn't look like, and they're 17 miles away. We want this, can you look to see if this property might be more feasible? So you can actually recommend comps to these RCS appraisers and it is their duty to justify the rents and they have to work with you. Like if you work with somebody in RCS appraiser that doesn't want to have any of your feedback, don't work with them. Like this is your responsibility as an investor, as a section eight investor to be able to increase and optimize the rents as much as you can. So that's why you have to work with these RCS appraisers to be able to increase those rents and give them kind of recommendations of comps they can and can't use sometimes and they will, after those grids are finalized, they will engage in inspection. They usually inspect maybe um, one of each bedroom type in the common areas and the electrical rooms. So they just want to inspect it just for assurance purposes that what they listed on the report is actually what's stated on there. Okay. Well, so the, they're not going through each unit. Then that was my question is like, oh my gosh, no. if you have a 50 unit property, wow. Okay. Well, that's, that's good to know. That's, <laughs> it's one of each bedroom type. <laughs> Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Usually one to, two each, one to two of each bedroom type and you uh, have to, you know, with section eight tenants, you have to provide them with a 24 or 48 hour notice mm -hmm. depending on the state. I think nowadays 48 hours, um, but we're, it just depends on how flexible your um, property management team is and the tenants are. Um, I guess like when you just mentioned that you can pick one of each bedroom type, right? because we all know about you got to do value. Yeah, you got to run over the property. So justify the new increase rents. Do you show the, the RCS third party appraiser? Like, Hey, here's how many um, units that we have not renovated yet. And here's how many properties we have renovated and they'll see one of each. Like, does that type of conversation happen with the RCS? Appraiser? It does. Yeah. Okay. You, you can absolutely direct the inspector to be able to, to check out, to see um, if there's been any renovated units, non-renovated units, any down units, they usually always want to see those, you know, if there was a fire or whatever there was, and then they want to see any vacant units. Um, so, but I, like I said, usually it's, they're very flexible, one of each bedroom type or two of each bedroom type. Um, and they will be able to go out there and just give their assessment. And then they will come back and just finalize a report that they're producing for you. I will say, however, that if you are a Section 8 investor, and you're looking to buy an apartment and do value add, what's great about the RCS is that you can actually do what's called a chapter 15 market to market. So it doesn't matter if it's within the third year or the second year of your next five-year RCS, you can actually increase the rents at any time of a property, as long as you're able to justify it with a full-scale renovation. So <laughs> the chapter 15 comes alongside with an increase in rent. So if you're planning to do any kind of full-scale renovation, let's say it's 10,000 to 20,000 a unit, how much is your cost? You're able to submit that markup to market package that's chapter 15, and you can engage in RCS and submit that RCS to say, this is what my as-is rent will be and what my as-rehab rent will be. Because 
you have to work in synchronicity with the RCS to see what the scope of the renovations will be. So if your team is planning to install stainless steel appliances, granite countertops, you actually have to factor that into the RCS you're going to submit to HUD along with the whole package of your team. There's an entire package re requirement for a chapter 15 market to market for a full scale rehab. Well, that's, that's good to know. So you're saying you can do that before you do the remodel. So you, you do know, anytime. yeah. Oh, that's, that's awesome. So that's, that's, that gives you a guideline so that, and again, being, a, you know, an owner myself, it enables you to budget uh, more appropriately and, and know what you're going to be making if you make those improvements. So, oh, that's, that's very cool. Very cool. Yes. I just want all people, all investors to understand, like, because we're adding so much value in the lives of these low income tenants by doing a full scale renovation, we have the opportunity to engage these chapter 15 markup to markets, but we need to do it in the right way. We have to submit a full package to justify to HUD. We are doing this for a good cause. We want to increase the rents because we're adding all this value to the property. So you have to have your budgets ready. You have to have a tenant relocation plan ready. Um, there also has to be a third party reports conducted such as a property condition report, a phase one environmental. Uh, there's a few stipulations that you're going to face from HUD, like requirement wise, especially if it's going to be a tax credit full scale renovation. Those are way more in, in depth, but um, it's very simple if you work with somebody like me or like Dane to be able to answer, you know, any of these questions when it comes to seeing how can I make money from this? What can I anticipate? You know, as long as we follow the rules, we can make money. <laughs> together and improve the lives of other people. And I think that's so cool because people need yeah. to understand like, hey, they might have heard the annual thing with the OCAF. They might have heard the five-year RCS study. But then now you also had this mark uh, markup to market thing that you can do, assuming you're doing a big enough of a renovation that you're not necessarily stuck. Some people might say, I'm buying this property and I got to wait four years before I do it. But not necessarily, right? Uh, not you're doing a full scale renovation. Okay. And Got I would it. also mention there is a budget based rent increase, which you can do as well. <laughs> so there's budget based rent increases that you can do um, for a property if it's not a full scale renovation. It, so let's say if, like, let's recap. If we're going to increase the rents legally for a Section 8 property, we would do it, like I said, through OCAF, Operating Cost Adjustment Factor, the five year RCS, which you could do every five years. You could submit a chapter 15 markup to market, which is when you do a full scale renovation and in congruence with a rent increase. And then you can also do what's called the budget based rent increase. So you have to be able to work with your accounting team and work with the worksheets that HUD provides you to submit a budget based rent increase, because sometimes the HAP contracts will not allow a five year RCS because they're called they're what's called a mark to market HAP contract. So with Mark II market HAP contracts, usually all you could do is submit a budget-based rent increase based on the operating expenses and the debt service and all these other factors that go into it because um, those types of mark-to-market properties don't qualify for um, a five-year RCS. And maybe this is a good question because we have some questions from, from the listeners right now, actually, that are watching us live. Um, <laughs> Be Andrea, and this is, I'm going to, I'm going to ask, stadium. She's I know, stadium. I love it. She's attracting a crowd, <laughs> but maybe this is how I can better ask it. Right. Because like, let's say you have a multifamily property already 
Like, how do you actually make it a Section 8 prior? Like, do you have to go apply for a HAP contract? Like, let's say you're just buying a big apartment building. You're like, hey, I want to do Section 8. I want to convert this to a affordable housing complex. Do they apply for a HAP contract? Like, how does that process actually happen? You know, it's interesting. Um, I would actually like to bring on a special guest to answer this question for you because I personally haven't done it before. I usually just work on increasing the rents as they are, but um, there are ways in which I'm sure you have to submit a package, you know, do an entire portfolio um, presentation of your team. Uh, there's also, you have to submit the financials, get a good trailing 12, the rent rolls. So you're submitting it like a business package because essentially an apartment building is a business. So you have to submit that business to HUD in a way uh, that you can say, Hey, I'd like to approve. I'd like to qualify for making this, converting these units to section eight. You can also convert these units to LIHTC tax credit, uh, tax credit units. And that's a whole other thing in itself, but it's very important for uh, you to work with someone who's already done it before and also visit the HUD website to see how you can submit for that. But I will say that if you have a property that has Section 8 units and then you just don't want to deal with the headache, you want to convert them back to market rate units, don't go through that. Pro you know, The issue when you want to convert Section 8 back to market rate is that you can never again have that mar those market rate units back to section eight so you can't go back <laughs> you can convert ever, market rate to section eight of, ever in the history of the property or just in my ownership i think it's just ever in the history of the property in, in my understanding oh. but i could be wrong because That's once you convert these market the market rates uh once you convert the section eight back to market rate it, it you can't submit it back to section eight again <laughs> wow now you can have a property, uh, let's say, again, 50-unit property that has open market people, and you can accept Section 8 tenants into that property, correct? It does, and this is a stipulation that people don't understand, and I didn't either, you know, when I walked in day one. So if you have 50 units <clears throat> and you, you have two vacancies pop up and you fill those with Section 8 vouchers, you don't need to go through any special accreditation or whatever for your property, correct? You just have to abide by the the, the rules of of the voucher um, and, and whatnot. Or, or am I missing something there? You have to abide by the rules of the use agreements and the restrictive agreements. There's also they, There also might be restrictive covenant agreements that you have to look at. So each property has like a set aside of the maximum um rents that can be charged for those properties is, is so you have to look to see if there's any of those agreements in place um and the thing is is when you're looking at these types of properties to invest in you, you just have to be aware that there's so many other ways that you can increase the rent or the income of the property for section eight i know that we can increase the rents usually by listing on the rent schedule you can increase the cable uh the fees for cable the fees for satellite tv there's additional appliances and additional parking spaces. But if it's utilities, those are already usually listed on the rent schedule. Yeah. You just stole my next question. I was, I'm like a, I'm like a kid. You just gave me a lollipop. <laughs> I want more candy. I'm like more candy. How do I make more money? How do I make more money? Anything else that we're missing on, on that end, like ways, 
and, 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 and I'm saying this because, and to the listeners, please, 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 from somebody who's been there, done that, it, it, this is a, a really, it, this is an outstanding offering, Section 8. It, 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 it has a bad reputation. I don't understand why. Um, most of the people, almost all of the people that I've dealt with are like Andrea. They're, they're sweet. They're knowledgeable. They're wanting to help you as the owner. They, like you said earlier, Andrea, like we want to help you make money. So you talked about parking. I didn't know about that. Obviously, uh, utilities. Is there anything else that uh, an owner can make money on or be reimbursed on? Or is, is that for the most part it in a nutshell? Yeah. Um, usually, like I said before, the rent schedule will be able to tell you this is the actual rent we're charging. These are the utilities, if there's any utility allowances, but you can also increase income by charging for a cable, satellite TV, any additional appliances like stainless steel appliances or a refrigerator, um, and then additional parking spaces. And then usually on the rent comparability study, you're going to see other project amenities and unit amenities. So in order to increase the rent for those amenities, uh, that would, you could do that, but um, you just have to see how you can legally do it because I know people can charge for, um, you know, like laundry. That's a separate contract you could have with an outside contractor, but you can probably work out an agreement with that laundry vendor to get some of the income. And then you can also charge for storage. Um, there's, I mean, there's so many other ways that you can make money, but aside from that, like there's, it's different from market rate. <laughs> it's very sure. different because you can't really go overstep and gouge the tenant in section eight units for more, way more money than you should versus what you can do in market rate units. But the, the drawback with market rate units, like you said, is that maybe this tenant loses their job and I will not get paid on this unit for six months or longer. But with yeah. section eight, you will be receiving that government subsidized rent. When COVID hit, um, about 50% of our units were section eight. And a lot of my colleagues were freaking out because people weren't paying rents. And Jared and I kind of were able to sit back and breathe and be like, hey, we know that at least 50% of our tenants are paying and it's guaranteed. I'm like, hey, this is this is not a bad thing at all. <laughs> I know. I feeling right where you feel like you can give back to these section eight tenants who are low income and then still not gouge them for rent, but also make your investors money because you know, that check is, you know, from the government's coming in <laughs> and they're able to cover that part of the rent that a typical market rate tenant might not be able to pay in this uh, economic environment. Yeah, for sure. Well, Andrea, you have shared so many gems again today and you summarized it almost beautifully with all the different ways that we can increase rent. So I can't thank you enough on behalf of the listeners today. Uh, I know we're going to want to have you come back on and do some more deep dives on different types of affordable housing deals. Like we talked about uh, low-income housing tax credit properties today. We definitely need to have a conversation about that. Uh, for the listeners today, if you are ever interested in uh, learning more about these different topics that we talked about today, please follow at Andrea Garcia uh, REI on Instagram. 
And please subscribe to our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash at Kent underscore he, because we're actually thinking about having Andrea come on and actually walk through our HAP contract, uh, go through an RCS study. So you guys can actually see what does it look and feel like. So you guys from the ownership side. Feel from yeah. the ownership side. Yes. Yeah. So you're going to hear uh, more information. It's so important to understand coming from the owner, how important that these reports are. You know, I'm an owner of over 1,700 units across the country, and they're all uh, predominantly Section 8. So the only way to really make sure that my investors are taken care of is by being able to optimize the rents, understanding what are the limitations in rent increases and how we can be able to mitigate or manage the expenses. You know, so I work in underwriting. I love what I do, especially when it comes to renovating a unit and seeing the A-class quality you can provide to a low-income person. You know, it brings tears to their eyes. They love it. Um, but we need to be able to protect the investor whenever we're doing these renovations. And that's, like I mentioned before, Chapter 15, Market to Market. So there's ways on how we can look after our investors and um, and be able to make money together. For sure. For sure. And that's, that's the thing that I love about it is, most people in Section Eight get that they get that we're not here to lose money, and and they want to they want to work with you, people, listeners. They want to work with you, work with them, and it's it can be a beautiful uh, beautiful partnership for sure. Yes, absolutely. Awesome. Well, we're gonna wrap this episode up. This has been an act like just jam-packed episode. So thank you so much again, Andrea, for coming on. We so so appreciate your time. Have a great day, everyone. Have a great weekend. We'll see you soon. Thank you, guys. If you want to find out more about affordable housing, feel free to connect with me. And I'm happy to just continue sharing more knowledge and information I didn't learn when I first started investing. Thank you. Love it. Love it.